0: Okay, we are starting a new sermon series. We are going to be going on a several-year odyssey uh, in the book of John. Maybe not several years, but at least a year. Um, And uh, when you go through the gospel, it's a powerful thing. And so we are starting off uh, with the prologue of the gospel of John, which is John 1, 1 through 18. John 1, 1 through 18. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. No one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. The word of the Lord. Well, it happens about twice a year that you start seeing the magazines uh, appear on the racks in the grocery stores with the question, who is Jesus? It's usually around Easter and Christmas when that question begins to be asked again, and then it's neatly tucked away until another holiday season but that's the question that we're going to attack today because it's the question that is answered here in this prologue who is Jesus there was a study done last year by Ligonier Ministries that asked this very question and 52 percent of American adults believe that Jesus was a great teacher and nothing more What's even scary is when Christians were surveyed, 30% of people who call themselves Christian agree that Jesus was merely a great teacher. 65 of them agreed with the statement that Jesus is the first and greatest being created by God. Well, is that true or is that not? We're going to find out. But C.S. Lewis put it this way when examining the question of whether Jesus was a great teacher. C.S. Lewis said, a man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on a level with the man who says he is a poached egg, or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. And so the most important question that we have to answer today is, who is Jesus. We cannot approach this question dispassionately because if Jesus indeed is God and Lord, then it affects everything. John does not approach this question dispassionately. No, he's seeking to convince us in his gospel. Indeed, at the end of John, John says, Jesus did many other miraculous signs in the presence of his disciples, but these are written, that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. See, this prologue, which we're going to look at today, is going to set the tone for the gospel for the next year. And this prologue seeks to answer three questions. Number one, who is Jesus? Number two, why did he come? And then finally, number three, what we must do. Because the truth of the matter is, Jesus is the one that we have been looking for all of our lives. And so let's seek to answer these questions in the brief three hours that we have together. Number one, who is Jesus? John starts out with these thunderous words in verse one, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. John starts by calling Jesus the Word, and he hearkens back to the beginning This word in the Greek, the beginning, could mean origin as well. In the origin of all things was the Word. Meaning before there were stars, before there were planets, before there was the sun and light and life, there was this one called the Word, Jesus Christ. There never, ever, ever was a time when Jesus was not We always think of, or we tend to think of Jesus' life starting as a baby when he was born into this world. But Jesus has existed long before that. In fact, Jesus has always existed because in the beginning, there already was the word named Jesus. See, John is different than the other synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. They really begin their gospel with the ministry of Jesus as it begins. But John begins his gospel with the origin of all things, showing that Jesus already was there. In beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. So back in the beginning, before there was anything, there was God, God the Father. And with God was this one called the Word, Jesus Christ. We see that they were separate, yet they were both God. There was a relationship, if you will, between God the Father and God the Son before there was anything else. There was a love between these two beings, these two creators. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. That means that in Jesus Christ, all the attributes... All the characteristics, all the abilities of God preside. He is all-knowing, all-powerful, all-holy, and all-glorious. Hebrews 1.3 puts it this way, that the sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. See, John intends that his entire gospel will be read in light of this verse. That as we read the deeds and words of Jesus Christ, we are reading the deeds and words of God himself. John continues with verse 2. He was in the beginning with God. It's like it's such a profound statement that he has to repeat himself so that we would know. Now John calls Jesus the Word. In the beginning was the Word. This word in the Greek is logos which if you were a Greek back then, you would translate that reason or wisdom. In fact, logos is uh, the root of where we get the word logic. In the beginning was this one who was reason and who was wisdom. But John is not only referencing Greek language, but he's referencing the Old Testament itself. Because in the Old Testament, we see this one called the Word appearing all over the place, right? The Word, for instance, is the agent of creation in the Old Testament. Because in the beginning in Genesis 1, God said, let there be light. He uttered a word, if you will, and there was light. Psalm 33, 6 puts it this way, By the Word of the Lord... The heavens were made, and by the breath of his mouth, all of their starry host. This word is the agent of creation, but he's also the agent of revelation to people. He's how we know God. So for instance, in Jeremiah 1.4, Now the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. The word is an agent of revelation. The word is also an expression of God's character in the Old Testament. The voice of the Lord is over the waters. The God of glory thunders. The Lord over many waters. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is full of majesty. And so this one we heard of in the Old Testament again and again when we heard the words, The Word of God, or we heard God speak, is now personified. He has become a person, this one called the Word. Colossians 1.15 puts it this way, that He is the image of the invisible God. He's the way that we can know God. John continues on in verse 3 to describe this Word. All things were made through Him, and without Him was nothing made, that was made. We see that the Word is the one who is responsible for creating all things. Think about that. Look around you. The wood in the pews that you sit on was created by the Word. The fabric in the carpet was created by the Word. The sunlight that's streaming in the window so that we can see one another was created by the Word. Indeed, each one of us was created by the Word of God. Did you know that your heart beats 100,000 times a day? Your bones are stronger than cast iron. Your body reproduces 100 million blood cells in a day. And your brain is the most complex structure known to human, uh, uh, the human person. Your eyes can see over one million different types of color surfaces. And you have 60,000 miles of blood vessels coursing through your body. And all of this was created by the Word. Indeed, he goes on and says, without him, nothing was made. Every single thing was created by this one called Jesus Christ. Colossians 1.17 goes, before, uh, uh, goes even further and says, He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. Scientists understand that when you get into the molecules and the building blocks of life, atoms, that there is a mysterious force that keeps these atoms, these electrons, and these protons and neutrons from flying off. It's Jesus Christ who holds all things together John continues in verse 4 with this majestic words in him was life and that life was the light of men in him was life meaning Jesus is self-existent he has life in himself Jesus of course communicated this about himself multiple times throughout the scriptures right I am the way, the truth, and the life. John 5:26. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. See, this is the reason that Jesus Christ could not stay dead, because he is the resurrection and the life. He had to come back to life. And not only was in this word life, but this life was the light of men meaning he is the one who is responsible for breathing life into your and my body. He turned on the lights, so to speak, to make you alive. He awoke you from non-existence and he holds your very life in his hands. This is the one called Jesus that John is talking about. And then John utters these amazing words in verse 14. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. All of this God, the one who created the stars in the sky, the one who has life in itself, became encapsulated in the form of a little baby. God punched a hole, if you will, in the floor of heaven and came down into our world. Now notice that he became flesh. He didn't put on a costume of flesh, but he actually became flesh. He became human. He created a body. Now he did not shed his divinity while being fully human. He was fully God. Without giving up what he was, he became what he was not. A helpless child who cried, and was cold, and was hungry, who had to be changed. Jesus was just like you and me as a human. He had bad breath. He got acne. He caught cold, and he had fevers. He was fully God, and he was fully man. There was an author, his name was J.B. Phillips, and he wrote a book And the name of that book was, Your God is Too Small. And the entire point of his book was because you have such a small view of God. You don't believe that God can work in your life. And so you don't approach him. You don't ask him. You don't seek out his face because your God is too small. See, John is disabusing us of this notion of thinking of Jesus as simply a great teacher or the first of God's great works. Rather, He is God Himself. And so you and I must see Him for who He really is. When we look at Jesus Christ, we must see eternity, the One who is and was and is to come, the One who made me, the One who sustains me, The one who is life. See, there's many places we go to look to have life. But there's only one who actually has life. Jesus Christ, the Son. That is who Jesus is. Well, this leads me to my second point. Why Jesus came? John tells us that Jesus came for two reasons. To show us who God the Father is, and to show us what God wants from us. First, to show us who God the Father is. Notice verse 18, that no one has ever seen God, but the only God who is at the Father's side, He has made Him known. See, God the Father is spirit, but we are flesh. He is from above, but we are below. He is holy, but we are sinners. How could we ever approach God and be in his presence and know him. He is so different than us. But Jesus came to reveal the Father. The only God, Jesus, who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. He made it possible that we could know God the Father in a personal, intimate way. He came to reveal the Father. Jesus said in John 14, 7 to his disciples, If you really knew me, you would know my Father as well. From now on you do know him and have seen him. And Philip said, Lord, show us the Father and that will be enough for us. Jesus answered, Don't you know me, Philip? Even after I have been among you such a long time, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. What does that tell us? It tells us that the guessing games about God are over, that God wants to be seen, that we can look into the face of Jesus Christ and know God the Father, what he's like, what he likes, what he dislikes, what he's about, who he is. Jesus came to reveal the Father. But Jesus also came to reveal what the Father wants from us, See, God did not send a warrior. God did not send an army. God sent a baby. And he sent a baby for a reason. The verse 14 says, And we have seen his glory, glory as as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. What does this word grace mean? The definition of grace is the completely undeserved, unearned, unmerited favor of God. I'll say it again, Jesus came full of grace and truth, the completely undeserved, unearned, unmerited favor of God. See, Jesus did not come to get, Jesus came to give. Our world does not give grace. Our world rewards entirely based on your accomplishments, what you've achieved, what you have, what other people think of you. Our world does not give grace, but God does because Jesus came into the world to give the grace of God. Some of the first words uttered when the first person recognized Jesus, John the Baptist, said, look, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sins of the world. Jesus came to take away your sin and my sin, that we could experience the favor of God. John 1.16 says, From his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. It's like Jesus is full of grace. And it's from his fullness, from this overflowing fountain that we have received grace grace upon grace. A way you could translate that would be one blessing after another. That's why the name Jesus, Yehoshua, literally means the Lord saves. Jesus came to save and to give one blessing after another to those who he wants to call his children. For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. See, the law that was given through Moses was a list of commands. Here's what you have to do. This, this, and this. And if you obey the commands, you will receive blessing. But if you disobey the commands, you will receive cursing. It was a conditional law. And the reality is all of us have failed to follow that law, have we not? For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, who has loved God with all of his heart, mind, soul, and strength, and his neighbor as himself. None of us. God the Father should have sent an agent of wrath, but instead, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. I love the anachronym of grace God's riches at Christ's expense. He came to bring grace. And he came to bring truth, the truth of who God is, that he is merciful and forgiving, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. He came to reveal the person and plan of the Father. I've used this illustration before, so forgive me, it's been a while. But it's of a farmer who was in his farmhouse late one night on a cold winter's night. And he heard a, a thumping, a tapping. And as he looked out his picture window, he saw there was a bird that was trying to get into the window. It was attracted by the light, and so it was bumping into the window. The farmer had compassion on this bird, and so he put on his coat, and he went outside, and he opened up his barn, and he turned on the light, and he went to the bird, and he started talking to the bird, saying, go into the barn. You will be safe, and you will be warm there. But the bird just, continued bumping into the window. The farmer tried to corral the bird, tried to get near the bird and and get around the bird and, and, and shoo the bird into the barn, but the bird would just fly out of range and continue to bump into the window. And the farmer had this thought. I wish that I could become a bird so that I would be able to communicate and tell this bird where to go and how to be safe. That's exactly what God the Father did. He became a human. That He might get near us. That He might show us that He's not to be feared, but rather to be loved. That He is safe. And that He would show us the way to life. Jesus is the one that we have been looking for all of our lives. Jesus shows us that we need not fear the wrath of God. Many of us here live in fear of God. What will he do to me when I meet him? I know I deserve his wrath because I fall short of the person that I am supposed to be. But my friends, we need to look no further than to Jesus Christ who came, full of grace and truth. So we must see Jesus for who He is. Come close to Him, John invites us. Don't run away. Follow His path. For he is the one that leads to the barn. Indeed, he is the barn. The one who is safety, the one who is life. And this brings me to my final point. What we must do. The answer is simple. That we must embrace Jesus Christ for whom he really is. See, there's only two responses to this one who is sent from the father to us to either receive him for who he is or to reject him and sadly many 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 reject him look at verse 11 he came to his own and his own did not receive him makes me think of the story of Jesse Owens I don't know if you know the great sprinter Jesse Owens who won 4 gold medals in the Olympic Games in 1936 in Hitler's Germany. And when Jesse Owens came back to the United States, there was a banquet held at the Waldorf Astoria in his honor. But Jesse could not go up the main elevator because he was black. He had to go up the freight elevator. And he, when he received his trophy, after he received his trophy, he had to leave the ballroom because he could not eat with white people. Now think about that. The purpose of the entire party was for him. And yet, he could not stay. He came to his own, but his own did not receive him. Jesus came to his own, but his own did not receive him. And it's still happening today. But to all who did receive him, verse 12, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. See, we can receive him. And how do we receive him? By believing in his name. By believing that he is who he said he was. His name, Jesus The Lord saves, that He is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, that He is the one who is the way, the truth, and the life, and worthy of all of our worship and all of our devotion. So the question is, do you? Do you receive Him as Lord and Savior? You can do so today. You can, in your heart, bow your knee to Jesus Christ and claim Him as your King and Savior, as many, many in this congregation have already done, as I have done. And what does He do? When you do receive Him, He gives the right to become children of God. Think about that. God, the one who created the universe, the one who is all good and all holy and all powerful and all beautiful and all glorious gives us the right to become not strangers, not agents of wrath, not second class citizens, but children of God to receive the same status that Jesus who is God's son receives. You too can be a son or a daughter God see what we are looking for is to be made right with God that there to be nothing in between us and Jesus breaks down all barriers all walls and brings us into fellowship and communion with God What John is communicating and I am communicating to you is that Jesus is the one that you have been looking for all of your life. So come to him. Give your heart to him. Seek him day by day, moment by moment. Because Jesus said, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone, and he does mean anyone, opens the door, I will come in and eat with Him and Him with me. He's the one we've been looking for all our lives. So don't leave here without finding Him. Rest in your relationship with the one that brings you to the Father. For He is most certainly coming back. And we will see Him and live not by faith, but by sight. Because Jesus is the one we've been looking for all of our lives. Let's pray. Oh, Jesus, we fall so short of recognizing who you are. You are God, the creator, and you are God, the redeemer, the one who rescues us from the wrath to come. I pray that we would see you for who you are, to acknowledge you, the one full of grace and truth, and that we would bow our knee, and that we would humbly come to you. Make us children of the Father, that we may know what it means to truly come home. We pray all of these things in Christ's name. Amen and amen.